uh, John chapter 4, and we're going to pick up the story in verse 27. Now, um, you might not have felt this um, at the end of last week, uh, um, but we really left the story before it finished. Um, and if it, if it was anything else, like if you've been watching a movie um, and it got, near, it got to about 10 minutes from the end and you went, oh, that's, that'll do, I've had enough, I'm going to bed. That would be weird, right? Because you want to see the end. You want to see where it's all building to. In fact, we've been um, enjoying Marvel films uh, rather too much recently. And I get told off when we turn it off at the credits. I'm like, Dad, there's a post-credit scene. I'm like, how am I supposed... What's the point of putting a scene after the credits? Oh, anyway. (laughs) Last week, we sort of ended a bit early. Because last week, we watched this extraordinary encounter between Jesus and a Samaritan woman, a woman who was very broken, a woman who'd experienced a huge amount of pain in her life and dissatisfaction and and couldn't find what life was supposed to be about. And she had this encounter with Jesus where he said to her, I'll give you living water, I'll satisfy your thirst. It was beautiful. But that wasn't the end of the story, that wasn't the point of the story, that wasn't the end. It's like, no, that's... that's, um, there's so much, something so much better to see. So we're going to pick it up. We're going to see where it was all building to. So let's read from verse 27 of John chapter 4. Just then his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked, what do you want? Or why are you talking with her? Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to town and said to the people, come. See a man who told me everything I've ever done. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and made their way towards him. Meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Then his disciples said to each other, Could someone have brought him food? My food, said Jesus is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Don't you have a saying, it's still four months until harvest? I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. Even now, the one who reaps draws a wage and harvests a crop for eternal life so that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. Thus the saying, one sows and another reaps, is true. I sent you to reap what you have not worked for. Others have done the hard work and you have reaped the benefits of their labour. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I've ever done. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them and he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said, Now we've heard for ourselves and we know that this man really is the saviour of the world. This encounter that started with Jesus and a woman at a well ends up with this extraordinary declaration from a whole town saying, we get it. We know that he, Jesus, is the saviour of the world. 
And so the encounter with the woman at the well had such a bigger purpose to it, such a bigger goal. It was not just about her, it was to bring salvation to a whole town. But of course the disciples don't get that. When they come back from their little trip into town and they come back and they find Jesus talking to a woman, they're sort of, what are you, what are you doing? This is a weird thing to be doing. And it's as if Jesus is gently going to say to his disciples and perhaps to us, you need to see what I'm really doing. We need to glimpse his glory in John's gospel. We've been seeing again and again. We need to see what he's doing. We need to see what he's doing in this passage and what he's still doing today. And if you want to sum up in one word, the big image of the passage is harvest. If you ask the question, what time is it? What is the time in which we're living? We live at harvest time. Do you remember that old game we used to play? Um, what's the time, Mr. Wolf? Hands up who played that game. Hands up who hasn't got a clue what I'm talking about. Great. You, you have not missed anything, right? It is one of the worst games ever invented. Someone stands with their face to a wall. Everybody else lines up. They say, what's the time, Mr. Wolf? He says, three o'clock, and we take three steps forward. Don't know why. Anyway, at some point, when the wolf's ready, he turns around and he says, it's dinner time! And he turns around and he chases all the kids and they all scream and everyone has a happy time. See, the time, right? What time is it is an important question. And if you were to say to Jesus, Jesus, what time is it? He'd say, it's harvest time. That would be his answer. And if we can understand that and get to grips with why that is so significant then we might begin to understand why Jesus is so fantastic and why being one of his disciples is just the coolest. Now, here's how harvest works. Before you can have a harvest, something else needs to happen first. This is basic garden, but we live in London. So not many of us have experienced. Before you can have a harvest, you've got to have a bit of sowing. Not this sort of sowing, that sort of sowing. You've got to... You've got to Work hard to plant the crop. And you can divide all of human history. The whole Bible story can be divided into two. Sowing, harvesting or reaping. Now what is sowing like? Well, sowing is hard work. That's when, you go, that's when you've got to dig the ground. That's when you sweat. That's when it's tiring. And that's when you are basically digging holes and putting little things in the ground that you don't see anymore. It feels hard. In fact, Psalm 126 talks about those who sow with tears. It's hard work. And we don't see this, but we, if we lived in a country... I remember listening to a guy preach um, who, who lived in a country where they had relied on their harvest every year. And the cycle of the year was, we got food, but our food is running out and running out and running out. And he told the story of a family who'd run out of food. They had nothing left to eat. And then one of the little children went into the, kind of one of the sheds at the back of the house and came running back and said, Daddy, Daddy, Daddy. I found a whole bag of grain. I found a whole bag that will feed us. And he looked at this little girl and said, but that's what we have to plant for next year's harvest. And they weep. They weep as they sow. It's hard. 
There's heartache and there's pain. That's what sowing feels like. But harvesting, harvesting is when the joy happens. The tears of sowing are forgotten and you sing as you gather in the harvest. You don't mope around going, oh, this is so frustrating and annoying. You joyfully go, he's provided, he's provided, look at this harvest. And Jesus says, if you want to know what time it is, you have to understand that now, in the coming of Jesus, is harvest time. It's the point of tipping in the whole of human history when you move from sowing to harvesting. That's what Jesus says. It's like the macro story of human history is sowing, sowing, sowing. Jesus comes harvest. And that's what Jesus... Now, if we can understand that, it will really help us to see where we fit into this world in which we live. So that kind of image in our heads, let's pick up the story. Let's get back into the story and see what's going on. The disciples are a bit confused about him talking to this woman, but she leaves her water jar and off she goes back to her town. We're going to come back to her in a minute. I just want to focus on Jesus' part first, and then we're going to come back and look at the woman. So she's gone off back to her town. Look at verse 31. Meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. You've got to feel sorry for the disciples sometimes. (laughs) Haven't you? I mean, it must have been so... Honestly, you just think, you know, I've gone to town. Jesus, I've got you some food. Rabbi, I think we should eat something. And then he looks at you and says this weird thing. I have food to eat that you know nothing about. You can imagine them looking at each other going, oh, he's done it again. <laughs> what, what does he mean? Has he got food? Has he got like a secret supply of Tesco's come and brought delivery to the well? I mean, where's he got food from? And you get this, right? Jesus is so patient with his disciples, but they can't see the time. They can't see what time it is. Jesus says, you you don't understand the point of where he is. So verse 34, he explains it to him. My food, says Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Jesus said, you want to know what sustains me? You you want to know what I live for? You want to know the thing that drives me, the thing that makes my life worth living? It's to do this work that my Father sent me to do and to finish that work. Just in that, right? Even in that, that's a challenge. I've become obsessed with the things of the food, the physical food of this world. And the stuff that I need and my life in this world and all the things that I need to make my life comfortable and nice and easy. And the clothes that I wear and the house that I live in and all the stuff that I have. And it's as if Jesus, it's not that Jesus doesn't eat. It's not that he doesn't need to eat. He says, those aren't the things that are my true food. You want to know what my real food is? My real food is to do what my Father has sent me to do. And of course, if you live your life simply for the things of this world, if you live your life simply to satisfy your desires and hunger and thirst now, you'll miss out on the greatest satisfaction, the greatest tasting food there is in the universe. There is no food that tastes sweeter than to do what God has asked you to do. Nothing tastes sweeter than that. 
And so you've got to ask the question then, well, what is the work that Jesus has been sent to do that he is determined to finish? Well, the, the work is harvesting. That's what he says. He immediately starts talking about harvest. Don't you have a saying, it's still four months until harvest? I tell you, open your eyes, look at the fields, they're ripe for harvest. What is it Jesus has come to do? He's come to bring a harvest to this world. Now, what on earth does that mean? Let's try and land this harvesting language. The story of the Bible is the story in the the story of scattering, the story of people who have rebelled against God being scattered and it being hard and life being hard and there being tears and pain. And in that hardship, God is still working. He's still at work. You can't see it because it looks so painful and it looks so dark and it looks like the enemy is winning. But God is still working and he's still working through his people. And he promised a day when there would be a harvest, when he would gather a people, not a crop of fruit, but a people for himself. And then Jesus comes, the words become flesh, the God who is man, the lamb who is the Lord, all the things we've seen so far in John. And Jesus comes to be the great harvester, to gather a people in. That's what he came to do. To gather a people who has been scattered far away from him. A people who deserve to be a people who deserve to be away from God, who deserve God's punishment, gathered and brought in by Jesus. And you might say, How is Jesus going to do that? How does Jesus gather a people? Well, in John chapter twelve, which we're going to get to in like, I don't know, eighteen months. In in John chapter twelve, Jesus says, When I am lifted up. I will draw all people to myself. So Jesus is going to be lifted up on a cross and as he's lifted up on a cross, he's going to draw this huge harvest to him. People from all over the place are going to stream to Jesus to come to him. That's harvest time. Jesus has come to gather a people and when he says he's come to finish the work, He knows what that's going to cost. He knows he's going to have to die. And when he dies on the cross, you know what he shouts out? The last thing he shouts in John's Gospel? It is finished. As Jesus dies, he finishes the work that God gave him to do and he gathers this people for himself. And Jesus says to his disciples, can't you see that's what's happening? That's what I'm about. You see, lots of people think that Jesus came to be a nice person or a good teacher. He didn't. He came to be a harvester. He didn't come with some nice philosophies. He came to gather people. He came to rescue people from far away and bring them near. It's why he came. So I guess in some ways, the first question I need to ask you is, have you been gathered by Jesus? Are you part of his crop? Do you realize that you deserve that you deserve God's punishment but that Jesus came was lifted up on a cross so that you could be gathered to him that's where life is found He's gathering a crop for eternal life gathering a people who will live forever and ever 
Nothing matters more than being part of that great harvest. So that's what Jesus came to do. It's harvest time. But Jesus now talks to his disciples and says, and I want you to be involved in this. So look what he says. Verse 35. Don't you have a saying, it's still four months until harvest. I tell you, open your eyes, look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. He said, don't make excuses, right? You've got a saying that goes, oh, it's still four months till harvest. Don't need to do anything yet. We'll get to harvest time when it's harvest time. I can put my feet up and watch Netflix until then. Jesus says, no. Open your eyes. Look at the fields. It's harvest time now. The fields are ripe for harvest. It's like the farmer sitting at home as all his oranges are rotting on the trees. It's like, get out. Go pick your oranges, man. (laughs) Jesus says it's now. Verse 36. The one who reaps draws a wage. Look, the workers are working now. It's now that the reapers are being paid. It's not the sowers who are being paid, it's the reapers. You're a reaper. So the sower and the reaper may be glad together. This isn't the time for sorrow, this is the time for joy. The coming of Jesus means joy to the world. We should write a carol about that or something. The joy of harvest. So that we sing. And thus the saying, Jesus says, one sows and another reaps is true. And then Jesus looks at his disciples and says, tell you what, you lads, you are going to reap what you did not work for. Don't you realise that, he says to his disciples, don't you realise the privilege of where you live now? You get to do the reaping bit. Others have done the sowing and the weeping and the suffering and the struggle. You get to swing in at the end and go, yo-ho-ho, gather the crop. Jesus says, don't you see? What time is it, Jesus? It's harvest time. The disciples need to have their eyes opened. And so do we. We need to see the time in which we live. We still live in the time of gathering in the harvest. We still live in the time when the fields are ripe for harvest. We still live in a time where there are people who need to be gathered in by Jesus. Jesus has come. He's died on a cross. He's finished his work. He's returned to heaven. And now he's, through us, gathering in his people. Now, how does that happen? Well, the great thing in this passage is that we get a crystal clear example of what it means to harvest, to be a harvester. So let's turn and look at the woman, because she's the first ever harvester. She's great. She's had this encounter with Jesus, and in verse verse 28 we're told that she left her water jar. Now, there may even be an indication there that here's a woman who's got a new set of priorities, Here's a woman whose life has been changed. She's leaving behind the thing that used to be most important to her and she's now got this new message. It may just be she's so excited that she forgot it. Either way, 
the woman went back to the town without her water jar and said to the people... Now, even before we look at what she says, last week we said this was a woman who was an outcast. This is a woman who came to the well at noon because she didn't want to see anyone else. This is a woman who's notoriously sinful. This is a woman who everybody knew had a bad reputation This is the woman who keeps herself to herself. But now that she's met Jesus, she's been so completely transformed that she runs back right into the middle of the town. What a transformation Jesus brings about. And then she says, Come see a man who told me everything I've ever done. Could this be the Messiah? That's her message. What do you make of that? What does it mean, come see a man who told me everything I've ever done? Do you think we've got a, there was a bit of the conversation missing where Jesus ran through, you know, at the age of six months you rolled over for the first time, you're slow on that, but you did all right. And then at the age of 17 you banged your knee. What does it mean, come see a man who's told me everything I've ever done? I I think what she means is, come see a man who knows me completely. Come see a man who knows even the, even my most shameful secrets. He knows me. Come see a man who's spoken to me like no other man has ever spoken to me. All this woman has experienced of men in her life has been men who have mistreated her, ignored her, chucked her away. And suddenly she's met a man in Jesus who is so different. A man who actually knows her. I say, here's the beauty of Jesus. Jesus knows us. He knows everything about us. He knows the things that no one else knows about us. And at first, that might sound terrifying. You might think, I don't want Jesus, I don't want anyone to know those things about me. Well, it would only be terrifying if Jesus wasn't the man who was full of love, who said, and I will deal with every single one of those things. And I will give you living water like you've never drunk before. And I will take away your thirst and I will satisfy you completely. Here is the one who knows everything I've ever done, the woman says. And she's so excited. He knows me, he knows me, he knows me. Could he be the Messiah? Now I think the interesting thing is that no one told this woman to go and tell anyone about Jesus. Right? It wasn't like she sat down and went to a course where they said, now, it's great that you've met Jesus. I'm really sorry, but there's this kind of slightly bad bit where you now need to go and tell everyone. Sorry. But it's okay because we've got some courses. We've got some techniques we'd like you to learn. We've got some uh, things to help you, some some, uh, little things we'd like to give you. So you're going to be okay. This woman just runs, right? She's so captivated by Jesus. The idea that she wouldn't tell anyone is ridiculous to her. Imagine saying to her, why why are you saying this? It's like, because he's awesome. No, I've never met a man like him. He's terrific. He told me, he he gave me living water. He satisfied me. He's changed my life. Could he be the Messiah? And I wonder sometimes whether we've lost that delight and thrill of really knowing Jesus. 
of that encounter with Jesus that left us going, I've just got to speak of him. Isn't it true that we can kind of lose that? So if you're someone sitting here today and you say, I know Jesus, I know that he's forgiven my sin. I know that he knows everything I've ever done. I know that he's the one who's lifted up and has drawn me to himself. I know, I, I know that. But I don't feel excited about it. Or I don't feel like I want to tell anyone about that. Do you see, the problem there is not, well, you must go and tell people. The problem is, perhaps you need to ask God to rekindle your love for him. You see, we spend so much time, and I could stand here with a big stick and say, you've all got to go and tell people about Jesus. Boom. And you're all rubbish because you're not doing it, and you should be telling everybody. Actually, the way the Bible does it is, he's so good. Look at him. Love him. Adore him. Worship him. And ask that that would flow over in your life to others. That you can't help but tell people about Jesus. And you may say, well, I'm not very good at it. You know, I can't, I don't know what the right things to say are, and people ask difficult questions. Okay, fine. I'm going to hazard a guess, right? You may not be very good at it. I'm happy to accept that. Your assessment may be very accurate. But I'm going to say, if you're not very good at it, I'd put you in the same category as this woman, who really doesn't know a lot. And what she does is not say to them, Let me explain to you all of the gospel. Let me explain to you all of the difficult theological concepts that you need to understand. What she says is, he changed me. And you know, I wonder sometimes if we have set the bar. Mm, This probably sounds really wrong. Take this. I wonder sometimes if we've set the bar too high. That we sort of said, in order to tell anyone about Jesus, you need to be able to sit down and do a Bible study with them. I'm not sure that's true. I remember a a terrific, a lovely lady at a church I was at before. I don't think she would ever necessarily be in a position to lead a Bible study and to explain to someone what, what it all means. But she could say to her friends, I met this man Jesus and he's changed me. And I can't explain to you any more than that. But would you come and would you come and learn about him? And for some of us, that's, our, that's what we're supposed to do. You meet Jesus, he changes your life, you're overflowing with this living water, and you go and you say to someone, he changed me. Now I get it, that's hard, right? But where we don't feel a desire for it, can I encourage us not to beat ourselves up with guilt, but instead to go back to Jesus and to say, please help me, I I don't want to tell anyone about you. That's a good start. Be honest. Jesus, I don't want to tell anyone about you. And I'm really sorry, because you're so good. And therefore the reason I don't want to tell people is either because I don't get it completely, or I'm afraid or ashamed, I'm sorry. Holy Spirit, please would you help me? And then as you walk into work, you say, give me a chance today to speak of Jesus.
to be honest, if that is the result of this, uh, if, if as a result of this talk, we can, we can find ourselves saying, Jesus, help me with this. Imagine if we were a church and we were all like this woman. I mean, what? There's probably, I don't know, 160 of us, something like that here. Just 160 of us. Think what God might do if we could begin to learn to overflow Jesus to others. And we don't have to be weird about it. I don't think she was being weird. She just went and said, this was amazing. It's not that difficult to go into... Oh, sorry. It could be possible to go into work and say, do you know, I heard the most amazing thing yesterday. We were, we were learning about Jesus and I learned this. Now that's hard to say, but if we're ready and if we're overflowing like this woman... So harvest happens when those who've met Jesus overflow Jesus to others. But that isn't the end of the harvest story, because then look, the Samaritan town, the whole town is now making their way towards Jesus. So here they are all traipsing up towards Jesus, the whole town, going, oh, this is strange, let's go and see. And you've got the disciples having their conversation with Jesus, and he's going, look, look, it's ripe, the harvest is now, it's like coming, It's walking towards us. This is a very enthusiastic harvest. This is not difficult to see. Here it comes. Hello, harvest. (laughs) In verse 39, it says, Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I've ever done. Isn't that beautiful? Jesus uses this woman. She's like the first missionary sent to a Samaritan town. Jesus uses her to bring a whole town. And when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two days. He shouldn't be doing that. Jesus is not allowed to do that. Jews are not allowed to stay with Samaritans. They're enemies. But like Trev said earlier, Jesus is the one who came for his enemies. He didn't come for the good people. He didn't come for the people who think that they're fine. He came for the people who know they're messed up. He came for the Samaritans. He came for the the people who don't deserve it. He came for the people who should be excluded. He came for them. And so when they say, will you stay with us? He goes, boy, I'll stay with you. I'll have two days with you. (laughs) And then verse 41, look, and because of his words, many more became believers. And they said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we've heard for ourselves and we know that this man really is the saviour of the world. Harvest happens when people give personal testimony and then the words of Jesus are heard. That's how it works. Personal testimony and the words of Jesus is how harvest is gathered in. So you go to your friends and you say, Jesus has changed me. I don't know, I can't tell you much more than that, but Jesus has changed me. Come and hear. And then you... You bring them somewhere where they can hear the word of Jesus. It may be that you are confident enough to do that. You could open Mark's gospel with them, with one of the nice gospels that are around, and you could say, should we just read it? Would you want to read it with me? But it may be you think, there's no way I could do that. That's okay. Don't freak, don't panic about that. But there are ways you could say, do you want to come to church? 
Come and hear the words of Jesus. You see, it's the words of Jesus that at the end of the day really change people. The words of Jesus are where the power lies. Not in clever presentations, not in your brilliant arguments, not in fantastic apologetics, not in any of that stuff. The power is in the words of Jesus. Jesus has the words of eternal life. And when his word is heard, people's lives changed. So when you're talking with your friends, have this in your head. Is there anything I can say about the words of Jesus? It's interesting to, you know, we can argue about God and we say, I think this and I think that. What about if sometimes we said, actually Jesus said. You see, when we talk about the words of Jesus, there's power. And the Samaritans are harvested, are gathered in because of the woman's testimony and the words of Jesus. And those two things combine to bring in this great harvest. And it still works that way today. As people give testimony and as then the people are brought to hear the words of Jesus, a harvest is gathered in. Now I think the problem is that we often think we want the living water and we want all that stuff and we like that stuff. Oh, I don't really want to do this. This feels rubbish. I don't want to do this. Oh, I pray that we'd be a church where our hearts are changed to say, I want that. I want to be like that woman. I want to be unashamed of Jesus who is the harvester, who's the one who gives eternal life. Sowing, harvesting. Now, just as we finish, I want to acknowledge one thing. That although the macro narrative of the whole of human history is sowing, harvesting, and we live now in the time of harvesting, there'll be some of you, surely some of you, most of you, probably all of you, sitting there going, the fields don't feel very ripe. (laughs) Yeah? This makes it sound very easy. Great, let's all wander out into the streets of London. Come follow Jesus! We still live in a time of harvesting. But in the macro sowing and harvesting, there are micro sowing harvesting stories. And we have to understand that there will be times of sowing when it feels hard. There will be times when we weep and we break our backs and we feel tired and we feel exhausted as we're trying desperately to to help people to understand about Jesus. We desperately want people to know and we're trying and we're trying and there feels no joy. There feels no harvest. You've got to keep believing. Those who sow with tears will reap with joy. Keep going. I could point you to countless missionary stories who say that they went and they preached and they spoke and they spoke to people for years after years and they saw no one interested in Jesus at all. What do you do? You keep sowing and praying and sowing and sowing because you say there's a harvest coming. I know there's a harvest coming. And when the farmer keeps chucking his little bits of seed in his holes in the ground and it's pouring of rain and he's cold and it's snowing and he's miserable and he thinks, why am I bothering? He says, I'm doing it because there's a harvest coming. And because this macro story of sowing and harvesting, has, we can see it. It's what gives us confidence in our micro stories. So you may be in a time of sowing and weeping, sowing and sorrow. 
And it may be that you feel like giving up and what's the point? Jesus says, oh my dear child, keep going. Keep going. There will be a harvest. And how do you know there will be a harvest? Well, because Jesus is the great harvester. He's been lifted up. And he will gather all his people to himself. So here is the glory of Jesus. The glory of Jesus that he really is the saviour of the world. And in a couple of weeks, as we send Phil and Vicky off to Vietnam, why are we doing that? We're commissioning them for that work because we believe there's a harvest. It's harvest time. And there are people in Vietnam who need to be harvested. And there may well be days of sorrow and weeping and hard work. But you keep your eyes on Jesus and you keep going. Keep sowing. Keep sowing and looking for the harvest. So if you said to Jesus, what time is it? He'd say it's harvest time. And do you remember harvest festival at school? Again, this may only be applicable if you grew up in England. I don't know if other countries do this. I apologise for all my culturally insensitive references today. Harvest festival where you all brought your tin of baked beans. You know, you, you, you bring your tin of baked beans and you put feel really proud and you're embarrassed because they're smart price ones and everyone else has bought Heinz and you're like my mum's so tight you know (laughs) embarrassed I'm going to just and there's this great harvest festival this great harvest display do you know what's going to happen at the end of time there's going to be the greatest harvest festival ever and the whole harvest is going to be put on display and there will be people from every language nation tribe and tongue brought in And it's as if those that we've had the opportunity to share with, it's like we'll bring them in. There'll be our joy and our crown and there'll be worship and everyone will see that Jesus is the great harvester and that this plan is the plan and that this is the gospel and this is the good news for our world and we will be so satisfied as we say that was the food that was worth living for. And I won't care how big my house was. I won't care if I ever went on holiday to the Grand Canyon. I will not care. I will not care what grades I got. I will not care how much money was in my bank account. I will just care that I was part of bringing in this harvest. That's it. It's the only thing that matters. It's the only thing to give the whole of your life to. Jesus said, my food is to do the work of him who sent me. Oh, please God, let that be our food. Let that be what sustains us and drives us. So why don't we pray? Let's bow our heads and let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. Thank you that Jesus is the great harvester. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that the time of sowing has been replaced by the time of reaping because you've come and you've died on the cross. And Lord, we pray that we would see that more clearly. Lord, we pray that we would see that you are the saviour of the world. That we'd lift our eyes and see that the the fields are, are ripe for harvest. That this city, that there are many in this city who need to hear of Jesus. That across this world, in France, in Vietnam, across this world, in every nation of this world, there are people who are yours, who you're gathering in. Oh Lord, let it be, let it be that this harvest...
will be gathered. And Lord, might we play a small part in that, we pray. Father, please would you use us like you used that Samaritan woman. Use us in our stammering, pathetic words to give testimony to Jesus that they might hear his words and have life. Lord, we ask in his name. Amen.